Eggy sandwich in the morning Eggy sandwich in the night Eggy sandwich at lunchtime Eggy sandwich at lunchtime Welcome to the Hot Stove Society Show on Cairo Radio. This is Tom Douglas. And I'm Terry Rotiro, the chef in the hat. We are your happy host here every week on the Cairo. Yes, sir. Uh, We are coming to you live from the Hot Stove Kitchens here at the Hotel Andra. If you haven't been to the Hotel Andra in a couple years, it is worth a staycation here in downtown Seattle. Matter of fact, we have a staycation up for grabs uh, until May 5th, I believe, is the last day. Uh, we're taking entries of pictures of your, your, the stove that you grew up with. You know, we, uh, I have an ode to my mother's stove over here in the corner. When she passed this summer, uh, I inherited her Wedgwood 1952 six-burner, two-oven, two-broiler stove, white porcelain and chrome Absolutely beauty. Absolutely gorgeous. Yeah. And uh, so I was just curious what other people grew up with or what you have in your kitchen now that makes you happy. So... If, if you send a picture to Pamela H at TomDouglas.com, uh, you can be entered in for our staycation, which is an overnight here at the Andra, breakfast at Lola, and then dinner at your choice of our open restaurants. That is the best deal I've ever heard of. All this to show your stove. All this to show your stove. Wow. Pull the curtain back on your stove. Go ahead. Speaking of Pamela, she's on family leave this week, so Chef Brigitte uh, Charters. Thanks, Tom. Yeah. Hey, Terry. Bonjour, You're taking Brigitte. over the showrunner uh, position here today. So fun! I'm I trust excited. You'll, you'll jump in when you have something pertinent to say. Is that okay? Is that okay, Tom? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know okay. Better if it's not. <laughs> Better if it's not. There's lots of things you can do if you go to hotstovesociety.com. You can buy tickets to the show. You can come see Xiao Ching Chow, who's uh, coming, making a reappearance. Huh? It's been a year or two. I think yeah, we had COVID. COVID, right? Right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we had COVID. She's you doing uh, May 13th uh, here at Class of Dumplings of Pot Stickers. Super fun. And Ben Leonard uh, for Sweet and Savory Hand Pies on May 16th. So a couple of fun classes coming up. Today's show uh, is available on YouTube. If you go to TomDouglasAndCo.com, you can find us on YouTube and watch live or watch during the week when you have time. Or you can podcast us and all those fun things. So many ways to get us. You have zero excuses. You know, I just... uh, Last night I just got in from Manhattan. Maybe you don't like it, but that's not even an excuse. Yeah, exactly. Got in from Manhattan last night. Spent the last four days on the East Coast. Yeah. You know, for my sister's... Yes, I'm going to say it out loud. 70th birthday. Whoa. You have a sister that's a lot older than you. Yeah, she is way older than me. (laughs) And uh, she is my oldest sister. Okay. I have six sisters. She's my oldest sister and she's even older today than she was on uh, a minute ago yeah Yeah. Uh, so that was super fun my taste of the week is from manhattan one of boston's favorite chefs ken oranger and i know you know ken over the years i have met him over the years i haven't really hung out but he's got a cool new book with his daughter uh called cooking with my dad the chef and they're kind of kid recipes but more tween she looks like a tween to me her name is verven verven yeah i'm glad you said it because i i avoided it you know what it's what it's like in in uh, I mean what will it translate to? No, I think it's an herb. Yes, it's an herb, isn't yeah. it? Isn't a French yeah. herb? Ah, well, there you go. I did not know that. Yeah, and uh, you know, I always think of that uh, when I see that pronunciation. I think of all the years I spent mispronouncing Genevieve. Genevieve. I know. I know. I learned. Finally. Wait, what, what Vervain, was that? Vervain is Genevieve lemon. is Genevieve. It's not Genevieve. It's so beautiful. Who knew? We're going to check in with Karen Corker from New Start Community Garden. Uh, we talked about her last week and losing her big greenhouse and the tools and everything at Shark Garden. And we were, we were moved. 
in the conversation, and we had promised to do some work on that. Um, Correct. Raising some funds, and we did. Uh, rising uh, chef and cookbook author, Rising. Michaela, you're more than rising. Rising chef <laughs> and cookbook arrived. author. He's already arrived. Michaela Tartilia? Tortilla? No. A tortilla, like a, a carnitas tortillas? No. Tatalia. Tatalia. Uh, is here uh, from... Um, <laughs> Casa Lingua down there in the in the Pike Place uh, market, and she's got a new book out called Pasta for All Seasons, with also a class here on May 12th, and we're excited to talk to her. She's a pistol. Oh, she's, yes, an Italian pistol. An Italian pistol. Uh, <laughs> let's first talk, Chef, though, our taste of the week. For me, it's going to be, again, something a little bit different. I just want to give a quick shout-out or a remembrance to Ron Zimmerman, who passed away from the herb farm. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Earth Farm being one of our um, flagship nationwide, actually worldwide, location known in Woodenville. And uh, Ron was, as you know, quite a character. On, yeah, he was. Uh, Ron was a kind of man that if you sat down with him and a glass of wine, you knew when you were starting, but you had no idea how long it was going to last because the conversation was going to get left and right and deep into some subject. And uh, just a very, very smart individual person, huge amount of respect for the man. And um, sadly, uh, passed away last week. So yeah. I was um, talking to his wife, Carrie, yeah, I did and too, yeah. uh, I, I don't know. I don't know what to say about it. He was such a smart dude. <laughs> I you never know. felt up to snuff, right? Uh, because he was uh, so smart when in those conversations. Yeah, yeah it's like. And of course, the other one is um, another Rachel. Yeah, Rachel from uh, Rachel Ginger Beer passed away a few days ago, and that's. Also very um, sad and dramatic. Yeah, she's case. been on the show quite a few times. Yeah. Rachel Mathers uh, of Rachel's Ginger Beer. Just out of the blue, those two beautiful children, um, 42 years old. Yeah. Uh, is, uh, very, very, tragic. very sad. Yeah. But I uh, just wanted to give a big shout out. That would be my, uh, my moment of the week because I think these two individuals definitely have made a very strong mark in the community, mm-hmm. in all community of hospitality and restaurant industry. So... I want to make sure they get a big go. Go ahead, RIP, and you know, bon voyage. My favorite part about Rachel, she was always so vibrant, right? And she would yeah. run up to me in the in the Pike Place Market or something, especially when I was out chucking oysters every weekend down at Sea Town, and sit there in the cold and with her her buddies, including Robin from Robin's Cookies sure. and Linda Dershang, uh, and they'd sit out there just freezing on the in the market, and just eating ice cold oysters on an ice cold day. Drinking bubbles and having a good time. It's a real uh, Seattle light. Yeah, but she would always ask me these questions like, do you think I should blah, 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 blah. What do you think about blah, 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 blah. And I would just, I'd give her my uh, thoughts. Yeah, I'm going to do it anyway. (laughs) 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 Which was kind of her uh, parting thought was, uh, you know, when she gets an idea, she just runs with it and really gets a lot of passion behind it. And um, I couldn't be more proud to have known her. So, and Ron. So I, I wish them and their families all the best. It's time to talk Shark Garden right here. We talked a little bit about last week uh, losing their greenhouse to an arson fire. And here we are um, going to have a guest from Shark Garden here today. On Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 at Vinegar, vinegar, yeah, 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 yeah. Vinegar, vinegar, yeah, yeah, yeah. Vinegar, vinegar, yeah, yeah. Here 
joined by uh, so many folks here in the audience that, uh, that I know. 270. Like Michaela, like Karen, like Brigitte sitting in for Pamela. Uh, it's all exciting to be here today. Welcome, Taryn Corker. Thank you. Nice to see your face. Yeah. Right, how you doing? This is Karen. You're from Shark Garden down in Burien. Yep. And, and Terry, I'm going to have you just, uh, you're the one who brought Shark Garden to our attention years, a couple yeah. years ago, I think. Yeah. Tell us about Taryn. What well, it's a community garden that Karen is in charge of, and she's... She's a mastermind and as well as a, a go-getter because she won't give up in front of anything. Mm-hmm. And that's what you need to lead this kind of event. But um, very successful. I mean, I've seen it grow tremendously just in the last couple of years alone. And uh, Taryn is just, she, she keeps getting volunteers. She keeps getting grants. She keeps, <laughs> she keeps pushing, uh-huh. as we call it. And absolutely fantastic place where volunteers can go. You can, have, you can actually get your own plot. 10, 15 bucks, right? You can get your own plot and go and plant your own garden and help in the community garden as well. The other part that's really cool is it's right next to a high, it's a high school, right? Yeah. Right next to a high school where special need kids go in there and they also learn about the dirt and the garden and the gardening. So that to me is very cool because that's one thing in the urban system that is often lacking. You know, it's to the touch with the dirt and the, just learn how things grow and what they look like in the ground. So when you go to the market, you can see, uh, you can look at the differences that you can see in the market. Uh-huh. You're going to say, well, when I grow carrots, there is not one single one that's straight. <laughs> How come they're all straight in this one? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just simple things like that. Yeah. You know, they come, your carrots come that is three in one and they look like they're all together and you're like, well, that's kind of cool. <laughs> but they don't do that in the market. Welcome so, to the show, Taryn. And unfortunately... You know, one of the main reasons we want to talk about the uh, last week event that happened, the sad event that happened at the Short yeah. Garden. So, Yeah, part of what we do in the Short Garden is we teach organic gardening and increasingly cooking as well with different cultural traditions. We've got guest chefs coming in, teaching classes. And uh, we also have a, a greenhouse set up where we grow starts for our food bank garden. So part of the way we teach organic gardening is having volunteers grow food for the White Center Food Bank. And each year we grow two to 3,000 pounds of organic produce for them. And it's all culturally relevant crops uh, for the folks that are going to the food bank. Right. And that food bank serves over 70,000 people a year. So all those people will have access now to these culturally relevant crops. We grow really unusual things that they can't get from the big distributors. Uh-huh. So we grow some of the cool Asian greens and like bitter melons and some really fun stuff. Increasingly, we're growing uh, African crops, so we're experimenting with okras and cool. squashes and just different herbs, which is really yeah, It's more than one visit to the shark garden, because you're going to see a lot of new things the first time yeah. you go. So you're going to need to go back and yeah, really learn about place. those. Especially, <laughs> I was very impressed with the uh, Asian greens. I mean, you yeah, have like some really cool. weird stuff I've never even heard of, and that's... Yeah, we like to have weird stuff to get people interested in gardens and yeah. plants. We have basically a, a community pea patch system and then the school garden where the uh, at-risk youths work out there and then a botanical garden that wraps around the outside edge and that's all focused on edible landscaping plants. Awesome. Awesome. So we've got over 100 types of berries. So we do little berry tasting tours and stuff and then over 50 types of fruit, herb gardens. We've got specialty gardens. We added a, 
a grain garden last year, so it shows all different staple crops. Wow. Uh, so for, we had 10 crops of different grains from around the world, so people from the city could see what those look like. So a lot of people just don't get to see those in they urban assume. life. Yeah. <laughs> so we had quinoa from South America. We had millet and sorghum from Africa. We had buckwheat from Japan. Wow. We grew as much you know, wheat as it would take to make one loaf of bread so people can get a visual aid for that. Which a lot of people oh. just start disconnecting. And what is from. that? It's about twenty-four square feet. It turns out. <laughs> so, make a loaf of bread. Wow! Isn't that oh, new. Yeah. yeah. So it's we like to just sort of create these teaching gardens, and we're having thirty to forty free classes for the public this summer, learning about all these different topics from uh, herbal medicine to foraging to. Um, we're having folks come in and teach like Mexican salsas uh-huh. classes, all kinds of fun stuff. Well, that must be one of the most diverse neighborhoods, I would think, it in is. the Seattle yeah, area. Absolutely. Yeah. We're about uh, 85 to 90 percent families of color uh-huh. who engage with us as uh-huh. well as the kids. And we had all these uh, vegetable starts and everything lined up in this greenhouse ready to plant in the food bank garden. And unfortunately, last week it got burned down. Yeah. So, uh, tragic. You know, we've had a huge outpouring of support from not only you two, but uh-huh. the community to really sort of gather around the garden and rebuild. And so we're really excited that we'll be able to rebuild the greenhouse and restock it with all the tools and everything that was lost. Right. We had some rare seeds in there that we had collected from around the world Ooh, for these cultural lumber. crops. So we're trying to replace those uh-huh. now. And uh, Have you had any... Uh, uh, nurseries or anybody step up to we offer have. starts? We have, yeah. We're having a little plant sale this weekend on Saturday and a bake sale just because people wanted to help. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we're having uh, actually Eden Hill, uh, Eden Hill Restaurant. Uh, their chefs are donating a bunch of jams and jellies that they made from uh, the berries from the garden. We had a bunch of berries in the freezer uh-huh. from last season. Brought it over to them, and they're making jams and jellies for a bake sale, and awesome. lots of local cool. coffee makers and chefs and so forth getting involved. So that's pretty fun. Well, you know, Shark Garden is really one of those places that um, depend on the big three T's, right? Your time, talent, and treasure. Absolutely. Sometimes we have all three, yeah. and sometimes we can offer time or talent or treasure. Yeah. So. Um, it's nice to see everyone jumping in where they can, doing what they can. So. It's really moving to see all the support we're getting. Yeah. Jackie and I were talking about it after the show last week. Uh, and, you know, we've worked our entire careers, our lives, to, to be able to have a good life and to feed people. And, all, you know, we have benefited just as much as anybody else has from our, our businesses. So we yeah. felt really good about jumping in no, and being it's a, a part, such a huge help <laughs> being a part of the revival of that greenhouse it was yeah, um, it's going to be really nice can people still a, go on to that fo- yeah GoFundMe we still page? have a gofundme page uh-huh. uh if you look on gofundme it's under the shark garden greenhouse restoration fund we're going to keep that up for a couple more weeks and uh we're looking at options for greenhouses now and i'll definitely invite you guys to a ribbon cutting when we get the new one up you guys can come snip the ribbon since you were such a big support for it it's really we got really our greenhouses at costco <laughs> oh, nice. for our farm over there Prosser, and they're now 10 years old that's amazing yeah. and, and really kind of look as good as they looked when we put them in the first yeah we're excited year, to get so. a new that's one that's cool. Ten years is a long time. It's a long time, especially in that yeah, hot, hot desert, heat and, and cold wind. In and, the yeah, winter. Yeah. yeah. I know, you know, it turns out it was probably arson or something like that. Have you mentally recovered from, you know, all that? Because that's... It's an emotional when you, roller coaster. When you put your heart and soul into <laughs> something like that. It really yeah. has been a roller coaster because we were so devastated at first, but then to see the uh, you know the outpouring of support mm-hmm. has been really moving for us. And uh, we've gathered a lot of new friends as a result. And so that's been really cool to see, the community gather around a place that's you know right. in an underserved neighborhood. 
and we're doing great work, but not everybody knows we're there. So, you know, people can check us out, sharkgarden.org as well, uh-huh. and we're on social media. They can follow along on Instagram. We're at Shark Garden Burien. We do a lot on there to also do uh, sort of online education. So, and when was this? When was your little festa this weekend? Uh, this Saturday, uh, April 29th from noon to three. People could swing by. We've three. got a bunch great. of all kinds of things donated to the sale, uh, including garden art. A couple of nurseries are bringing plants and baked goods and fun uh-huh. stuff. So. Sounds like a yearly party. Yeah, well, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course exactly. it is. Sad, to, you know, sad that it happened. Congratulations for landing on yeah. your feet and trying yeah, to get so things much, yeah. uh, working again. And, and you know, mid-spring, that's a tough time because I, I, if it's anything like our garden, you know, we start the seedlings in exactly. January, February in the greenhouse. Yeah, we've been working so on it for months. And I'm it was sure they were full. Oh, I, I have, <laughs> I have <laughs> mentally uh. turned my head to love dandelion gorgeous flowers because my god they're winning my lawn that's for sure go to uh, sharkgarden.org and you can find out more we're going to welcome ken oranger here into the kitchen new book called cooking with my dad the chef vervien 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 uh his daughter vervien oranger i don't know if she's going to be on the call or not but we're going to zoom him in all the way from boston which i was just in two days ago on Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. We're back in the Hot Stove Kitchen on Cairo Radio. I'm Tom Douglas. And I'm Terry Rocher, Roller Chef in the Hat. Terry, once again, uh, just by the way, I was uh, when I was heading back towards Boston this last week, I went by Lulu again, and it wasn't open yet. Just saying. I tried to go. Well, you're, you're, tried to support you in your retirement. You're a late traveler, that's why. <laughs> I'm an early traveler. <laughs> well, early. Really. Yeah. Uh, we're inviting Ken Oranger into the kitchen here at the hot stove. Uh, he's got a new book out called Cooking with My Dad, the Chef, and his daughter is... Can you Verven. They're Ven Oranger. And Tom, Tom has a hard time with that name. I was, te- <laughs> I was telling Terry, I, I said Genevieve my whole life until I realized about two years ago that it was Genevieve. He I said Genevieve, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So. <laughs> uh, Ken, you are uh, the king of Boston uh, in the restaurant scene, and there's so much uh, to talk about since I haven't been to Boston hardly, almost in 10 years. I was on yeah. the train for, in Boston for about 10 minutes at Logan this uh, last week, but... Uh, headed right down to Providence. But, Ken, tell us about what's going on in the Boston restaurant scene and what you're doing and and why people should get their butts there because it's a beautiful city. Uh, Thank you so much for having me, guys. Uh, There's actually a ton, ton, ton happening. Very lucky to call Boston my home. Um, It's a really young city. Uh, All the universities, I mean, between Harvard, MIT, Boston College, Boston University, there's, like, eight or so smaller schools right in downtown Boston. So it's a really young, thriving city that everybody wants to just be out. And then we have a huge biotech uh, headquarters, probably the biggest in uh, the United States. Uh, So the city just keeps sprawling and sprawling. They just put in two brand new Amazon buildings right in this new neighborhood called the Seaport. Uh, so, which are each probably about, I don't know, 20 or 30 stories high. So it's, you know, it's just people just keep flocking here because they love the ocean. I mean, you guys know people love the ocean. They love, um, 
just being in cities where there's young people, especially these recent college grads, uh, to be able to stay here and, and to be able to have a good career and to be able to breathe some clean air and not live the huge city life. And, um, you know, ski mountains are two hours away. We've got the ocean right here. I mean, who wouldn't want to be here? Yeah. And I, the I best think, seafood on the East Coast. Yeah, I think Boston to me is like the Seattle of the East Coast. You know, oh, it's a, you know, we're a little bit younger of a discovery, but... You guys are a like, bit. <laughs> <laughs> but you guys are like the Seattle, you know, of the East Coast. I mean, it's, it's amazing. When I was there, that's what it reminded me of. Because like you said, the ocean is right there, and the mountains are not far, and, and it does have that little bit of a, you know, urban mixed country kind of feeling. So it's really cool. Oh, 100%. It, it definitely doesn't feel like a, like a city. It feels still like a, a small town. And, you know, there's this... A downtown, but even with uh, people working remotely in, in some of these offices, um, the downtown is not that big where it would cause any issues. So now they've learned to repurpose a lot of the buildings downtown. And, uh, you know, unlike San Francisco's of the world or New York's where they're still having a hard time figuring out what to do, um, it still hasn't affected Boston at all. Yeah. Seattle. You can add Seattle to that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so now we've interested people in going to Boston. Uh, you've got restaurants there. What do we got uh, going on these days since uh, we, neither one of us have been there in a while? What, are, what about you? What about some of our friends? Like, whatever happened to Lydia Shire? I haven't heard a word about her or Maybe Susan. Who's her old sous chef, Susan? Susan Regis. Yeah, yeah Susan Regis. Yeah, it's one of my faves. So, yeah, they're still, you know, they're still uh, thriving and, and doing a lot of cool things. Actually, Lydia... You know, she has a couple really great restaurants in town. She's opening a new one in that, in that seaport neighborhood that I had just mentioned to you. And I don't think anybody really captures the heart of Boston like Lydia does. I mean, she's been here for so long, and uh, she is just a legend. And nobody, nobody cooks better food than her in this town. But there's also some incredible young, young, uh, talented chefs that have opened up little restaurants that are happening in a lot of cities just in really cool neighborhoods and bringing a lot of diversity and, and uh, really unique voices uh, to, to the culinary scene. So it's not all um, big restaurant groups or bigger established chefs. There's lots of really tiny independent restaurants. Even with the James Beard nominations, there's one woman who has a restaurant right across the street from Toro, and it's called Yunnan Kitchen. And this restaurant is probably like 30 seats and i go there fairly often being that it's right in my neighborhood mm -hmm. and it's just so cool to see restaurants like this recognized because it's very very unique uh style of chinese food with a lot of things that i've never seen in my life and and there's dozens and dozens of these restaurants sprinkled all over the city that uh, of different uh, ethnic cuisines that are really telling some incredible stories no, it's it's kind of like Seattle that way. I mean, yeah. we, we have the same I issue here. It's not an issue. It's a, it's a great thing to have. But the, the diversity of ethnicity is fabulous. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned Toro. Uh, what's going on there these days? It's uh, It's been a, a, a long time since I've eaten at Toro. I ate there with about 30 people, if I remember the last time, uh, for some <laughs> James Beard event or something. Yeah. yeah, me too. It's still uh, still kicking. I mean, we're going on 18 years, and um, you guys know you guys have had the luxury of having some restaurants around for a long time, and it's just some amazing people that just keep it uh, 
running and it's a neighborhood restaurant uh deep down to its bones and uh and if you have a neighborhood restaurant and you treat people well you know there's no reason uh, as long as you have the cooperation of a good landlord there's no reason why uh, restaurants can't uh stay around for a long time right it's true it's never occurred to me that i was going to have restaurants that were 30 years old when i started it never ever occurred to me so it's it's kind of crazy. All right, you've got this new book out, um, Cooking with My Dad, The Chef, 70-plus, kid-tested, kid-approved. I guess that's the most important part. <laughs> and gluten-free recipes for young chefs uh, by you and your daughter, Verven Oranger. Did I say it correctly that you time, Chef? Well said, Tom. Well said. And uh, tell us how, how this book got started, and, and uh, it sounds like maybe there's some gluten-free issues in your household. Yes, yeah, so... This uh, this book came about about uh, just in the early part of the um, pandemic. Uh, my daughter, who you guys know, I mean, she grew up in the in the restaurant industry. Mm-hmm. She grew up; her first steps were at Copa, one of our restaurants. You know, she would eat into all the restaurants that I'd be working in on a nightly basis when I couldn't come home to cook. You know, I mean, there's one thing: restaurant kids really uh, learn to love food at a young age. And we even lived in Paris for uh, about nine months uh, just prior to the pandemic. Um, I went back and forth to um, kind of run the restaurants, but my wife and kids stayed there. My kids went to uh, all French school, and we were on quest to go have the best, uh, you know, pain au chocolat, the best baguette, the best everything under the sun, and. Of course, you know, just shortly after we came back, my daughter wasn't um, feeling well. We couldn't quite figure out what was going on uh, through a lot of tests for about six months. They found her to have celiac disease um, after loving all those croissants and baguettes for (laughs) so long. So I kind of took it as a challenge. I mean, she was like 10 at the time uh, to tell her, say, every food that you've ever loved, I will help figure it out so you'll never miss it. And I spent hours and hours and hours and hours in the kitchen every day uh, trying to create everything from sourdough bread to um, pan au chocolat to gougere to you name it. Yeah, all the stuff you're not supposed to have uh, if you have celiac disease. So celiac disease uh, means that you can't have gluten. Right. And so there's no flour, no... Um, no buckwheat or not buckwheat, no barley, no flour. Uh, those are no rye. So those are pretty much the um, the big ones. Well, one thing I go back and going back for one second. One thing you said about growing up eating in the restaurants is that uh, I know my daughter went on to become an attorney because she was convinced she didn't want to be in the restaurant business. But she really missed the socialization of restaurants in her new jobs. And that's another thing that kids pick up when they're in the restaurants. They miss the the camaraderie and the excitement and the showtime and the all the things that come the with the restaurant business. Yeah. Well, nobody knows showtime more than Thierry, but, uh, <laughs> you know, it's definitely uh, a fun part to have your kids uh, really see us making people so happy through our foods. Yeah, exactly. All right. When we come back, let's talk about some of the recipes in the book, how you got uh, them to be gluten free and delicious at the same time. And Kind of where your daughter stepped in and helped you make decisions on final products. On Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM.
Is everybody ready now? Yeah! Okay, here we go. Singing in the kitchen, all together now. Singing in the kitchen, everybody. Singing in the kitchen, banging on the pots. All right, here we are, hot stove time. Thanks for joining us in your kitchen, in your garden, in your car, wherever you happen to be. We appreciate that you uh, have uh, dropped in with us here and stay at the with us. Stove uh, Kitchen. Uh, Ken Oranger is our guest, a James Beard Award-winning chef out of Boston. He's got a new book out called Cooking with My Dad, the Chef. 70-plus, kid-tested and kid-approved, even more importantly, gluten-free recipes for young chefs. And, Ken, this is a work of love, no doubt, uh, considering... Uh, Around 10 years old, Verven Oranger learned that she was gluten or had celiac. So uh, good for you for kind of jumping in and making her life less um, dependent on gluten. And the funny thing is, too, guys, that, um, you know, from this book, you'd, a lot of people don't realize that um, a lot of food is naturally gluten free. So in this book, there's everything from sopes and pupusas and um, really great um, carne asada tacos. There's lots of Southeast Asian food with uh, different types of uh, you know rice noodles, and there's paella. There's uh, miso mushroom risotto. So there's literally dozens and dozens and dozens of recipes in here from our restaurants and some of the sauces um, that you would never even know again or care that they're gluten free because it's just super tasty food. And even the the pasta chapter, I tested pastas out uh, for months and months and months. Uh, you would never know that these pastas are gluten-free either, uh, from gnocchi with vodka sauce to spinach orchiette with uh, black truffle, anchovy sauce to whatever. So it's still a dad cooking food for um, his family and to I don't know many cookbooks uh, out there that are geared for kids that have sea urchin and caviar <laughs> and squid ink pasta and um, those are not just any you know, kids. They're not just any kids. <laughs> yeah, so so that's the fun part about it is it's not really not just for kids. So if there's like college kids or kids in high school or even my sister who is far from a kid, she's not the best cook in the world, but. It's a very. It really lays out the recipes where anybody can uh, can cook recipes from uh, from our restaurants that my kids grew up on, and uh, and have fun and and hopefully with kids be able to do them together. And and there's nothing in my opinion better than having kids in the kitchen uh, and cooking together. So tell us the process because I'm sure it, during COVID, lots of people had to cook with their kids sometimes for the first time uh, just to keep everyone entertained. But so tell us the process. You. You have a recipe, you, uh, you dove into it, uh, let's just say regular pasta, uh, and made it gluten-free. And then where did uh, Verven kind of jump in and, and uh, make this kid approved, other than saying right, yum? So Verven was um, actually a recipe tester, and she made videos for America's Test Kitchen at, um, at a younger age. So she always kind of uh, enjoyed being in front of the camera and being involved with food from, from a different side. So my wife decided to come up with the idea to write the book, and we reached out to America's Test Kitchen, and they knew Verman, and, and they said, you know, it sounds like a great idea. Um, you know, we're behind it. And, uh, and they had a network of thousands of kids that once we started writing the recipes, they were able to send the recipes out to all these kids throughout the country, 
and have these kids test the recipes and kind of uh, allow us to tweak them and, and figure out which ones would be understandable for kids to make and which ones would be a little too complicated that we were able to adjust or else uh, move them on and, and try some other recipe. How many rejects did you have? <laughs> oh, there was definitely a good, a couple dozen rejects. <laughs> I mean, there's no, there's no doubt about it. But oddly enough, again, some of the ones that made the cut, and again, like the pasta with squid ink sauce, I mean, you would never think that kids by the you know dozens would really enjoy this. But I think, uh, and there's even how to open oysters, for instance. You know, how many kid books teach you how to open oysters. And I think it's something a lot of parents are so intimidated by having oysters at home, for instance, and even with you guys and amazing oyster country as we are. Uh, I think every kid should know how to open up oysters and every family at home should be having oysters because we have some of the best oysters in the world in our backyards. And yeah. why wouldn't you do that? And my kids have always loved oysters. So why not show them how to open oysters and not be intimidated by it? So it's taking a lot of the intimidation out of, uh, out of the parents' hands and just letting the kids kind of uh, speak their own minds and, uh, and be willing to try things. There's a couple of things I noticed in the book that uh, are really helpful for when you're teaching a young person how to get started in the kitchen. Uh, number one is going through the recipe and getting all your ingredients together. That is just something you're, they're excited to get into the kitchen. They're excited to move forward. And then all of a sudden they're into the recipe and they haven't even checked to see if they have all the right ingredients Gather the equipment. That, that uh, sounds like my garmanger uh, station at uh, my restaurant. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Yeah, cooks still do that. <laughs> yeah. But it's very distinct in your book because now you can start cooking. Yeah. I, I mean, we all know mise en place is, uh, is everything. And uh, to be able to be organized, especially for kids, it's, uh, it takes the stress out of it. And um, it's, there's no better way to, to cook from a recipe. Uh, one of the things I struggled with with Loretta when we were in the kitchen together is she always wanted to adjust a recipe. How did you kept, keep uh, Raven from uh, saying, well, let's just try this, or did you? I tried. I mean, a lot of these dishes changed maybe two or three times because she would be like, you know, let's try this. Or even we have a caca recipe for an old French uh, cake recipe that's been in my wife's family for generations, uh, untouched, that Vervan, of course, had to touch it. So we put it in the book. It's uh, called um, cacao with, um, I think, with chocolate um, ganache and escalette pepper or something like that. I can't remember what it's called in the book. But, but this was a recipe that was in generations of our family, and my daughter changed it completely. And it's really <laughs> kind of fun. Well, don't lose the old one. That's important. Oh, never. Come on, Terry. You know, cacao, there's nothing better than the original. That's right. Uh, the other thing I love is uh, when you were in Paris, you said you were there for nine months, but she talked about being sick of a little bit of French food and going out for Vietnamese food. Uh, and boy, <laughs> even after five days, I feel that way sometimes when I'm in Paris. It's funny. Uh, this, is, this is very American to, uh, it is. to go anywhere on the planet and go, I'm tired of this food. It's like, but what the hell are you going to Thailand for? <laughs> <laughs> you go to Thailand to eat French food? No. <laughs> But, you know, because the other country, in most other country, you don't have the diversity that we have here. Right. And the capabilities that we have here. And that's why you don't, you know, in most countries, you have the food of the country. I get it, chef. I'm, I'm not arguing with you. I'm just I know, saying. But it's just like, come on. I felt a, I, I <laughs> felt a saying, kinship with, with Vivens' uh, thoughts yeah. on that. I, and it. Tom, I do too. But, you know, after a while, I mean, Terry, I mean, not all of us were blessed with uh, your figure. You know, some His of us mama. can't be eating 
foie gras and uh, and frites and uh, steak au poivre every night. We need to be having, uh, doctor. you know, some uh, <laughs> Vietnamese food that's a little bit lighter and cleaner and, uh, you know, not as heavy. Well, it's a fun read. Even if I never were to do a recipe, it's a good read. And it's also a good way to connect to your kids when you can get in the kitchen together and cook. That's right. The book is called Cooking with My Dad, the Chef. His name is uh, Ken Oranger, and it's 70-plus kid-tested, kid-approved, gluten-free recipes for young chefs. Congratulations. Congrats. It's, it's quite a fun book. Thank you so much, guys. Really appreciate it, and it's so nice to uh, to see you and hear your voices. Really uh, miss you guys. Likewise. Absolutely. We'll make a trip to Boston soon. For more Cheers. than 10 minutes. <laughs> I know, for more than 10 minutes, exactly. Uh, when we come back, we have a full more hour of a Hot Stove Society show kitchen uh, including Michaela Tartaglia I got two thumbs up on that one uh, for her new book Pasta for All Seasons on Cairo Radio it's the Hot Stove Society Kitchen Show 97 97.3 Welcome back to the Hot Stove Kitchen. This is hour number two. Uh, we will reset to let you know that Chef or Chef Pam, uh, she would love that I called her Chef oh, Pam. Pam Hinkley, our producer, is on family leave today. And uh, we wish her the best. Uh, Sean, is our, our technical producer, is here making things rock. And Chef Brigitte Charters is uh, sitting in here in the... Sitting in the, in the producer seat. Quite literally. You haven't said a word so far. I know. I'm like I, awestruck. You've never been shy before. You're the one who loves, <laughs> likes to take the blah, food blah, for blah. thought tasty trivia challenge do. to a new level. And, and she did today. We'll see about that. That's coming up at the end of our second hour. <laughs> uh, what else are you going to talk about today with us? Aren't you in segment three? I am. We're yep. going to talk about uh, techniques, which is related to tasty trivia. Is it? Techniques and terminology and just cooking. Um, Pamela, I was saying saute and pan fry. Let's pick a technique. She was like piccata. Piccata. <laughs> oh, so you're going to talk about how to make piccata. Well, and just you, you and I. I had, love making piccata. Yeah, you and I have had conversations about it, and it's yeah, so darn Yeah, you're wrong, and easy. I'm right. No. Man, there he goes. Here we go. Teddy, come Don't on. Worry, I'm here. here we go. I'm here, Brigitte. Okay. And we I'm have here Michaela for you. here who's going to make the decision who's correct. Okay, perfecto. So aside from that, we have a wonderful one-hour show coming up. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, We do want to acknowledge once again, uh, before we get started, the passing of two icons here in our industry uh, here in downtown or in Seattle and the world. Uh, Ron Zimmerman from the Herb Farm passed this last week. uh, uh, Certainly made a big impact on the food scene here and around the country. I remember my first cooking class at the Herb Farm in Fall City. Me too. I remember I exactly what I that. made. I was so impressed. I was so, I was like, oh my God, this is so cool. You know, like you felt like you were in the country and this is back in 1988. So most of you were not even born, but uh, this is like, I mean, it was so avant-garde for what they were doing at the time. You know, it's like big time. Yeah. I did poached leeks with oxtail jelly and borage blossoms. No way. Oh, wow. Yeah. Delicious. What? Yeah, it was really good. That's what did so you cool. do, Terry? I don't remember. Oh, I can't see. believe you remember. You weren't committed. That's, that's amazing. I was committed. You I were just, just was in. You were I was fluffed. just like, the place was so cool. Uh, we're going to welcome Michaela Tartaglia to our show. Talia, like Melia, millionaire. Are you a millionaire yet? 
Not quite. Not quite. <laughs> I like that, not quite. Uh, Michaela's got a little pasta shop in the market above the De Laurentiis space. If you kind of go back into that little square, what do they call that square? Atrium. A- the atrium. What? I mean, a- the, the atrium. The atrium. Yeah. The atrium, yeah. Okay. Uh, and so you go back there, Tenzing Momo's back there. There's a couple little things, but it's anchored by Casalingua, the little pasta shop, uh, where I got uh, my original version, my first version of... This book. Now, one of the things I have to talk about a little bit about this book, it's called Pasta for All Seasons, uh, Dishes That Celebrate the Flavors of Italy and the Bounty of the Pacific Northwest. But in the endorsements on the back of the book, you put Renee Erickson's endorsement above mine. So... (laughs) (laughs) I knew you were going to say something. I just love hot So, not that I'm competitive or anything. She's a girl. Exactly. There you go, yes. Yeah. And they have priorities. Okay, fine. You have six sisters, you should know that. I do do know that, exactly. (laughs) Anyway, how's it going? It's going very well, and thank you for having me, number one. Mm -hmm. Pleasure to see you. You look nice and clean, like your hair. I showered, yes. Very good. Once a week he does for the show. (laughs) (laughs) And Terry, nice to see you. Likewise. Bridget, lovely to be here. Brigitte, we call her Brigitte. 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 Uh, it's going very well. I'm very happy. It's an exciting moment, obviously. The book came out on the 25th. And so it's also a big national holiday in Italy. Uh, it's one of the biggest. Giorno, it's, um, no. the Giorno della Liberazione. Ah, it's um, the, libera- mm, yeah. the freedom from the fascism. Yeah. So without digging into politics, you know, it, it is a pretty it's like important. Fourth, it's like the 4th of July it there. Is, yeah. So, yeah, no, it's very well, very excited, and it's going to be a fun month, the upcoming month with all this book promotion, but mainly to be able to share this long process of, mm-hmm. you know, as you know, writing book, is a, it's, a, wow. it's a process, you have all the excitement, and then you keep on doing it, and then there is a moment of stagnatism that you think, why am I even doing this? Because in the meanwhile, you know, you're working, you're in the kitchen, you're hiring people. Like, yeah, it's all. not like your business just it's stops. Not, no, no. and you no. were going through all sorts of things in your right. business. And so, exactly. Uh, yeah, so it's... it's, uh, yeah, it's it, so it was definitely like at 4 a.m. of writing the recipes and late at night because during the day you had to keep on going. So right. uh, it's, uh, it's definitely a, a project uh, of dedication and love for this like tiny, compact, but I think a uh, very enjoyable book. It's a it's lot, a lot and, of work. Yeah, and this is a seasonal uh, recipes uh, for all the seasons. So um, it was uh, one part of one challenging part of this book uh, was the photography. Yeah. By the way, done by Kyle Johnson, which is fantastic person to work with and beautiful photos. But you know, to do the photo shooting for these dishes. So sometimes, if you are not time to do the fiddlehead, you miss the season. Yeah. And like you're crying, and you need to wait the year after. So, but because you were not organized enough to to pick up with the foreign, you know, you had to go our, higher in the mountains to get more fiddleheads where it was colder. I yeah, I did. I made a couple of mistakes, and I I messed uh, actually the moral season. And I mean, we had it, but was the season fading out? So it was not that gorgeous. So we had to wait actually one year to take that photo. Oh, jeez. Uh, anyway, so, uh, yeah, very happy, super. That happened to me when I was writing our second book, uh, Tom's Big Dinners. We were uh, filming the, or taking pictures of the uh, Christmas Eve at the Dow's chapter. 
And I said, dang, I need a Christmas tree. And <laughs> I went out to my wood pile, and there were, I hadn't broken down my Christmas tree yet on <laughs> my wood pile. It was just this. You found the Christmas tree? Yeah, I put it up in our friend's house, and she put <laughs> lights on it, and we went you from there. You couldn't tell it was dry and Well, we March. blurred out the background. Oh. But you could see that it was a Christmas tree. You need to get creative. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. All right, well, let's jump in the recipes when we come back. It's, uh, the book is called Pasta for All Seasons. Dishes that celebrate uh, flavors of Italy and the bounty of the Northwest. And Terry, I believe that's kind of what you tried to do with your French that's exactly cooking, what right? I tried to do, yeah, utilize local ingredients and then. Yeah, I mean, to me, your- I think if you live in Seattle and you're you're coming from somewhere, especially for me, for you from Europe, that's what I celebrate, and that's why I stayed in the city, is because we have so much very close by, all the all the bounty we have, and it's very seasonal, so I think it's very easy to cook. As, you know, like a European in, or a farm European. It's seasonal if you choose to. Correct. Yeah. You can get asparagus in December around here, too. Well, but that's the choice you can you get them now and they're not even out. All right. Be back in a minute on the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. This can wait. Breakfast can wait. You really put it on. Welcome back to the Hot Stove Society show on Cairo Radio. Michaela is here from Casalinga, the uh, Casalinga, the pasta shop in the Pike Place Market, right above De Laurentiis in the atrium there by uh, Tingzing Momo. Uh, Michaela, we heard a little bit about your history, but we want to hear more. Tell us about uh, when you came to Seattle, a little bit about uh, what inspired these recipes, what ingredients that... Uh, made you write i mean you only have a certain it's a small book you only have a certain amount of recipes what what made the cut here right okay so let's say that for the yeast for the story what i'm here we need at least a couple of bottles of wine oh, really? and it's tea what was time his name? and coffee time so let's what was his name let's say it's a long story and it's like very good you know and it the most important thing is that i'm here right yes now. um <laughs> so yes and you have lovely children yes i have viola rosa 13 years old, Mm -hmm. and Eva Luna, she's eight. Super happy. Uh, So um, I came here in uh, 2006, November, the best time to arrive in Seattle. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Didn't stop raining for 10 days. Mm -hmm. I was crying a Mm -hmm. lot. And uh, yeah, came for a sabbatical year and then up staying for until now. Mm-hmm. The recipe, the books in this recipe, to answer your last questions, are uh, 50 recipes, you know, for the season. So, uh, Otto Sage 24, no, uh, how many now? 12, 12, 12, 12 for 36. each season. Yeah, 38, is that right? And then two, lasagna. Three is 36. But four seasons we have. Oh, 48. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, you said <laughs> Okay, we, we have a, I have a mad <laughs> moment here. So four seasons, so 12 recipes for each season, so four seasons, so 48. And the book ends with uh, pasta al pomodoro because I, I think everybody deserves to have another pomodoro recipe. You know, there are already 1,000, yep. so there is never, never two, uh, t- never one more is always good. And then lasagna casalinga, um, which is our signature lasagna, which is lasagna la boscaiola. It's a typical lasagna recipe, uh, but when we opened the restaurant, I really wanted to put a lasagna that it was not uh, uh, bolognese. Right. And so the, um, this one is a white lasagna, 
lasagna with bechamella and mushroom peas and sausage. Classic. So Classic. Classic, but it never gets old, and I am super happy to share that. And uh, so these are the everyday. And then uh, the other 48 recipes, again, are seasonals. It, honestly, I have to be frank, the choosing the recipes was one of the hardest parts of the book. Um, so this is the very beginning of the project because we change the menu every couple of weeks. And so it's a lot of recipes. And uh, sometimes I twist the recipes, just put a new ingredients. And so I have hundreds of recipes. So picking up 48 was super hard. Do you um, write them down? Oh, God, no. you have no. like a binder? Oh, you don't. So now no, I do. So I have, to, I have to tell you this, Bridget. When I wrote recipes, actually, it was a very um, liberating moment also for the team. Because I guess we finally have, because we have guidance, obviously, but sometimes things change a little bit. And they are, it's very hard for them. And I apologize to them that I'm always not super organized. <laughs> uh, so now I, I am because we have the book. <laughs> so at least oh. those 48 recipes are in the folder. But you let them create too, right? Yeah, uh, occasionally uh, it's, they can, you know, they can want, they can run a recipe of theirs. You know, we do the tasting, obviously. But uh, I think it's, that's the beauty of it. That right. Everybody right. can express. Well, and the the market is right there. So you just right. walk yeah. down the market and go, okay, we'll do this today. Yeah, I mean, as long as not in Alfredo, right, uh, or shrimp scampi, whatever, because <laughs> you know. <laughs> You know, they can express themselves. Right. right. So for the viewers, when you walk into Pasta Casalinga, it's you walk up to the counter, order, get a glass of wine. There are five pastas. Mm-hmm. That's it. Well, there's and, 48 in this book. I know, but they're just five. So when people go, just walk up. You stand in line like you're going to get a coffee or a croissant. But it's a, you get an amazing plate of pasta. So in your book, it is broken into seasons. And right now, you, one of my favorite things is the pea shoots, the tender little pea shoots and pea vines right. mm-hmm. that are coming up with uh, the spring peas. Uh, and you make a little pesto out of that. Mm-hmm. That's what I love about true Italian cooking is that it's not a thousand ingredients in mm-hmm. each pasta, right? It really focuses on a really good ingredient, and then you celebrate it. Yes, and the cleanliness of the ingredients. Um, we, you know, in Italian cuisine, we usually say no more than three dominant ingredients. Mm-hmm. Um, so once you put the pea shoot, once you put the olive oil, it's dominant. If you make a pesto, obviously, yeah. you need to use a good amount. And a cheese, yeah. this is already a lot going on. Um, and I think this is the beauty of Italian food that is just so uh, you can really um, uh, you can really tell what are you eating. There is no uh, it, food, even the garlic, right? I always talk about garlic presence in Italian food. Um, we use garlic, but with parsimony. We the garlic is never predominant in the dishes. And what it is, is because something went wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like the umami of, it is, uh, of Asian food. Yeah, I, mean, I think it's, it's, a, it's an ingredient that you always know it's there, but you don't ever feel like that's the only thing that's there. Oh, it's not dominant, you said. Yeah, we call, so, you know, his nickname of the garlic is Il Re della Cucina, the king of the kitchen, for a reason, because we use it a lot, but without... Too much. So when you uh, when you have like a food Italian food with lots of garlic, very likely is not Italian. Right. 
Anyway, going back to that, yeah, super fun. And also super fun to use pea shoot. I mean, right now it's kind of a bougie, you know, I love pea shoot, so nice. Yeah, but because my dad it's would say. It's not bougie. It is. <laughs> it because, is very you know, bougie. How, I mean, oh excuse God. me, Tom, I respect you, but were you using pea shoots in the 80s? Yes. But you were you. You were great. <laughs> But, but I've been what, eating them in Chinese restaurants. No, but what she's, yeah, saying, but like, what she's saying is if I would have gone to my dad and go, I'm going to take yeah. all the pea shoot and cut them off to put that in the dish, he'd look at you. me and go, you touch that, I'll kill you. <laughs> so I'm waiting for my yeah. peas to come out. Exactly. And then I'm going to get all these peas from that. And That's what she means. Yeah. Thank you, Terry. No, it's okay. Oh, it see, you and I understand each other. Yeah, I mean, it's because so we're European very lucky thing. here. We use the peas, shoots. <laughs> <laughs> the rest of the world is like... Well, you guys well, I don't know babies? when's the last time you grew peas, Chef. We probably grew them last Every season. Year. Yeah, I understand. <laughs> but there's many shoots that don't mm-hmm. represent peas. Well, that's, that is true. And that is true. when you wait for that. But that's not before everything comes out. Yeah. To say what she said was three, maybe four ingredients. I think that's right. the key. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. huge. Yeah. And to handle it well and not burn the oil or the garlic. Yeah. Yeah. Be respectful of the ingredient itself. Yeah. And if you're making homemade pasta, you know, you have a machine that you can use, but also uh, it's such a lovely chore to make pasta. People get scared of it, but it's so simple and lovely. It's actually Is simple. there a key to making homemade pasta that uh, makes yours as good or better than anybody else's? Well, I mean, there's no better. There is no, I mean, yes, there is better. Yes, than, there is better. Let's <laughs> be honest. Uh, the book starts with a pasta primer section, very tiny. Um, that it really gives you a little bit of guidance about how to make handmade pasta, mm-hmm. either with egg or without eggs. So pretty straightforward. Uh, I always say you don't need a master in culinary arts to make uh, handmade pasta. It's all about, you know, ingredients, obviously, but also technique. But everybody can make pasta. Uh, there is no yeast involved. It's definitely easier than make pizza or um, bread. Mm-hmm. So everybody should try at least one time in their life uh, to make their it's pasta. It's so fun. It's fun. And it's, uh, you I know, mean, it's a ultimately, commun- water, flour, and salt, and you have it's, pasta dough. I mean, yeah, it's ready. Yeah. And it's one ready. of the hand, hand rollers for pasta is yeah. only $25, $35. Mm, it's a little bit more. I mean, uh-huh. I mean not uh-huh. your yeah. price. They give you a discount. Like obviously, 75, to you. Or if you have a normal people if like If you have us. a KitchenAid, they're 120 bucks for a great little pasta roller, right? Yeah. You love that. 95 for the single yeah, plain one. Exactly. So. Yeah, but the Mercato, Atlas, those are like very Italian, made in Italy, yeah. beautiful machine. They last forever. They come and in a dozen different colors. Yeah, very sexy. And uh, yeah, everybody should get one for Christmas. <laughs> there you go. I agree. Congratulations on the Michaela book. Michaela Tartaglia Thank has you. been our guest of Pasta La, La Casalinga. The, it's, the book is called Pasta for All Seasons. And I would really suggest you get it and then read the endorsement on the back that I wrote because it's very, the very... One from, oh, the one, I think we need to Tom, read that Tom, for everybody. The one from Rene or the yeah. one... Will you stay with us because Bridget's going to try and argue with me about piccata on the next segment. Yeah, I cannot wait. I'm you, right here. Okay, okay. And then you're going to play some trivia with us? Why not? Oh, why not? All right. Girls Against the Boys. On the, uh, <laughs> on the Cairo station here in Seattle, this is the Hot Stove Society radio show, 97.3 FM. <laughs> And we're back. It's the Hot Stove Kitchen. 
Michaela's going to sit in this chair uh, while we, Bridget and I, have it out a bit about piccata. Uh, and Chef Bridget is sitting in for Pamela today, and which is nice. I mean, normally with Pamela, we have to talk vegetarian or we have to talk vegetables, hippie food. And the fact or, she doesn't like Swiss chard. The fact that she doesn't like Swiss chard is unbelievable to me. But anyway, Brigitte, you like everything. You have, uh, And for people that don't know, uh, Bridget is in charge of the stages the stages at aspen? aspen wine and food festival south beach i was at new york saw you at pebble beach one year yeah i did pebble beach one year yeah, yeah. i'm kind of phasing out you know really but it's been it's been like what 15 20 years 20 20 oh years yeah wow mm. it's been fun i've met a ton of celebrity chefs and you're also a presenter here uh and one of the chefs at the hot stove society she gives a mean class you know she she taught youngsters at the Art Institute for 21 years, and so she doesn't put, put up with any guff here in the kitchen. I don't nope. care how old you are. <laughs> it's all about technique, right? If you, yeah. can, if you can teach teenager, you can do pretty much anything else in life. Well, yeah. She has Never a teenager, be... so we'll have to have this yeah, conversation. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, Bridget, um, you are going to talk a little bit about some Italian techniques because you spent some time in Italy. Well, they're just cooking techniques, so it pertains to all of us. But Pamela was saying, you know, what should we talk about? And I was saying, man, I get asked, I can't tell you how many times in class I say, look, if you're trying to hot saute something and you're trying to sear it, the pan needs to be completely empty. Get a good stainless steel pan. The pan needs to be empty. You need to put it on the burner. Turn the heat on low while you go gather your ingredients. And then you come back and you've got a nice piping hot saute pan that you add a teaspoon of oil or maybe a little bit of butter and you sear that item you're going to cook. Whether it's a piece of fish, it's a steak. It's a thin piece yeah, of meat, I, a piccata. Well, did you ever turn up the heat? It's still on low. Well, once it's on low, then you crank the heat to oh, high. Oh, okay. You never mentioned that. Sorry. Part. Yeah. Sorry, listeners. You crank the heat to high so that it's... You don't want it smoking hot because the oil is going to immediately burn. So it's just understanding, and you're going to have to practice, you know. Practice with water. It's easier. You just take a, oh, a drop little, of water and just drop it in your pan. With the oil? No, before no. you put anything Whew. in the pan. Because it spits. That's a good point. Yeah. That's a good and, little tip. Yeah, and you see the bubbles, how they move around the pan. If they're sliding really fast and it disappears, your pan is hot. Right. And so I, I tell people, because we'll teach classes here where they have mm-hmm. to saute. And mm-hmm. it happened last night. We, ha- we had a gnocchi class last night, and we taught them brown butter. And there was one pan back there. Sean was back there with them. And <laughs> the flames. It was like, Ooh, that pan was a little too hot. They were like, ah, it was a little burnt. And if your so pan, new pan, new butter. Yeah, you my, know. my advice is if your pan is too hot, don't start with butter. Start with oil or start with fat, which is what? the best thing you can have. That little chicken fat or pork fat you have on the side of your stove, use a little bit of that, put it in the bottom of the pan, and it, don't cool off the pan because that's a mistake to make. You have to wait another 20 minutes. So just keep your pan hot, but just don't drop the butter in there right away because it will burn instantly. Right, right. And so it's it, whatever you're searing. If it's a steak, you're making. No, let's, let's go to piccata. This is that's we'll do. Be our, yeah, let's piccata. Do a piccata so, right now on the air. Absolutely. Michaela's here to just call BS. If you're, so you're, piccata can be anything. It can be veal. It can be chicken. It can be salmon. Piccata is the style. In that, that's the sauce that goes on top of that item once you've seared it. Mm-hmm. 
So having seared, so let's say we're making a chicken piccata. You have scallopini of chicken. Correct. Yeah. You pound it you out. Pound it quarter out. Quarter inch thick. Yep. Maybe. Just eighth inch in from. a little plastic, whatever, yeah. or you could just slice it thin. Quarter inch. Season it with a little salt and pepper. Now, Tom and I have argued about whether or not there's flour. This is where you come in, Michaela. I don't add flour. I'll, you I'll do sprinkle. Add flour. I flick. I flick. I don't dress. Uh, She's we, hedging right by now. By depends what are you making, you know? Like uh, for weeks. So the point of flour, I did. So, I worked saute for mm-hmm. Carmine down at Il Terrazzo mm-hmm. for a year. Mm-hmm. And like, can I tell you how many piccatas I made in a night? <laughs> it doesn't make it right. Yeah. Okay. I'm just saying for me to pat every single portion of veal completely dry so that I don't have to use flour, uh-huh. you know, so it was tough to get that veal really nice and dry so that I don't need to use flour because the point of the flour is to wick the moisture mm-hmm. off of the meat so that when it hits that hot pan, liquid is the enemy of saute. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. Yep. It will burn you. Yeah. Okay, where do you stand on flour? Well, if I make scallopine, um, piccata no, is a general concept for many, many things. Right. If I make scallopine, like the old scallopine, mm-hmm. uh, very simple. And you, uh, we don't use marsala. We usually make lemon, um, the old scallopine. I use flour. Little bit. So, and I use, uh, I do oh. a mix of flour and butter and uh, olive uh, of oil. Lemon, olive and oil. then to make sure it's hot enough, uh, I drizzle, drizzle, yeah. I sprinkle a little bit of flour inside the pan to see if it's hot. ready. And then I do flipping once. Right. Obviously, I think there's another thing, flipping mm-hmm. 300 times. Yeah, yeah. And you have a mess. Yeah. And then I, I splash my whatever you want to use, you know, marsala or yeah. Okay, so lemon. stop, 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 stop oh, yeah. right okay. there. So now, so against my better judgment, you've used flour. Yeah, but this is just for scallopine, no? So, no, because, like, yeah. It's not, well... It's the same thing. It is, it is. It depends also what you put on top. Like okay, so you, now uh. we've got a good sear. Are you getting any brown on your meat? No, no. no I so mean, a little yeah. bit is golden. A little bit is golden. Golden. Okay. Correct. Okay, so now what? You pull your meat out and put it on a plate? Set it aside. Set no, you don't. Well, uh, but this is, you know. That's Italian. That's they Italian. leave the meat in I there. I spray yeah. the yeah, lemon. you leave the meat in. When I flip the second time. Uh-huh. I mean, there is nothing in this recipe besides the meat with a little bit of salt, the flour, and then one time, second time flipping around, and then I spray the lemon straight from oh, the lemon, uh, zzz, and, yeah. and then Vino I plate it. Vino, Vino bianco. bianco, but the kids, you know, they, like they, I mean, they do, but, you know, they will drink plenty in the future. So that's in there, and the meat is still in your pan, and now it's boiling away. Well, you're on, aren't you I, sauteing? I am sauteing. I am flipping the second time, spraying okay. the lemon, and take it out and plate, and we eat right away. Okay. So there's not we a lot of sauce. So there's not exactly. a lot of sauce. Exactly. So that's why I say picara is a concept with sauce more. It's Correct. more, yeah. Right. This is scallopine. They also, the, this is hard because they can turn out to be very dry. Right. So you right. need to be very, very fast. fast and careful in the heat. You know, but that's the, the way, the way. That, that clarifies for me a little bit the fact that there's no sauce. Correct. Because mm-hmm. I thought you were boiling down the, the scallop no. with, with a little it bit of wine. Four minutes top okay. to make okay. this scallopine. This is Italian scallopine. Every, yeah. Everyone, when they don't know what to do, they get a piece of pork loin, you know, they cut a little bit, they pound it, and that's what they do. It's the last moment. What do they do? I like the. <laughs> So she would be a great instructor. So uh, you guys, make sure you make a bunch of... 
Like, okay, so okay. Bridget, let's go back to piccata now. So, so for piccata, you- let's say let's say we, I've got six people over for dinner. I don't have a pan big enough to hold those three little scallopine, you know, for each person. So what I do is do it in batches, and I do quickly. I season the meat quickly. I dust it. I flick flour on the meat to wick some of that moisture, and then I quickly sear it, setting it aside. I do my so next you do pull batch. pull it out of the pan. I pull it out of the pan, then... Drop the heat a touch, my big daub of butter, some fresh extra virgin olive oil. Because there's fond capers, the, chopped yeah, parsley. There's a little bit of uh, drippings in the pan. Yeah, right? and yeah. you've got that fond in the bottom of the pan. So you don't, you've got to drop your heat when you're yeah. building your sauce. Yeah. Otherwise, everything's going to burn. And if it's burnt, it's burnt. Burnt is burnt. So you've add your butter and things. You don't deglaze with, say, a white wine. I or- do. Butter and oil goes in. Then I add my garlic shallots capers that goes in saute 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 i deglaze with the white wine i hit it with lemon and little blast of parsley uh-huh. and then it gets garnished and so what's the thickness of your sauce at this point is it like creme anglaise kind of thickness no that's no. too thick too it's thick. just kind of loose nappe you gotta you might need to add a little bit of water if it over reduced too quickly you don't need to add more wine just i would do exactly all this except the wine. i wouldn't put the wine i just put lemon juice but that's exactly how I make it piquetta. It's strong. I mean, yeah. the wine's nice. It's that flavor, right? Yeah, I use vermouth because uh, I well, like vermouth that herbi- is nice. Herbi- yeah. Vermouth is nice. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Would you, know? you eat it at her house, Michaela? Oh, oh. any time. I'm waiting for you. I know. She's been bugging me. But she lives below you, Tom, in the coolest house. You do? Actually, I live close to Pam. Yeah, yeah, uh, apparently. North Beach. North Beach, yeah. That weird street below Pam where uh-huh. you just you blow past it if you go all yeah, the way yeah, to yeah. the end. It's a mm. rental house. Well, no, I didn't we know neighbor. we were so we're close. Neighbor. We're so close. Yeah, let's have dinner. Um, will you stay for trivia? Yes. Okay, good. We're going to play Food for Thought Tasty Trivia brought to you by Rub with Love Spice Rubs. When we come back on Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society Show. Finish up strong. Hey, welcome back. It's time to finish up strong here with Rub with Love Tasty Trivia. Uh, Rub with Love is our versatile chef-inspired spice rub line with uh, a lively shallot mustard and four rich, two barbecue and two teriyaki sauces. With these tools in your pantry, you are ready to turn every meal into a feast. You can find Rub with Love at... The Hot Stove Society. <laughs> you could go find it at the warehouse. You find it at Seatown, uh, Town and Country Markets yeah. down at Seatown. It's all PCC. over. Even Bartels carries it. Oh, right, they have those sales. Okay. Right, or you can go online, find it online. So there's TomDouglas.com. That's the secret of everything here. <laughs> exactly, Bridget. Uh, we, I'm going to say this since you're not our usual host today, but uh, the way you play this game is you give each of us. Five, Five questions, questions, yeah. And the person who gets the most correct wins. And the guest 
always, no matter whether she wins or loses, most most likely today she's going to lose because she's up against Chef Terry and Tom. Whoa, whoa, the mighty, whoa, easy, the mighty easy duo. Now. This uh, is not a pattern that we use. She gets to pick somebody in our audience to shop in our gift shop after the show oh, for three. So they don't win. They don't win rubs. two free pastas from Pasta Casalinga. They, she no. lost. They could get. Oh, if she loses, right? Yeah. I guess we're making an assumption there. No, I, you I did are. it. You know, you guys will see by the questions. I threw in. It's international. Oh, technique. okay. All right, fine. Okay, let's get started then. Wait a minute, though. Hold on, Tom. You it's did only not two-hour show, Bridget. You did not plug my favorite place, Hot Stove Society, with the class that's happening on May twelfth. I just did May twelfth. Yes, I know, but it's not live. So for the listeners out there, there are still tickets available. It's going to be demo only. The price of the ticket includes a four-course meal. Uh-huh. We're going to do three delicious pastas from her book and do a nice salad. And who's coming? Uh, Tom is going to come and... As in, have, who's the chef cooking? Oh, um, Michaela's. Yeah, Michaela's the chef. And For the book pasta is, all seasons, pasta. yeah. Exactly. Okay, so tasty trivia. Yep. Um, today, I, um, I'm going to have Terry go first. I had Terry draw from a bowl of questions. Yeah, Terry no, gets five questions. The first question, Terry. Go ahead. There's no multiple choice. I'm sorry. What is the small cake or cookie that is made with ground nuts and whipped egg whites? These are soft like sponge cake and have a rich flavor of nuts. Tom's going to be using those in the next week or so. Well, I think Friant is definitely a good answer. Or I mean, that's, or the, one, that's, the, that's yes. the one I get at Le Panier when I go to Le Panier. Me too. Yeah. Yes, yeah. correct. All right, the second one. What is the Italian cold salad containing eggplant, celery, tomatoes, raisins, pine nuts, seasoned with vinegar, and olive oil? What is the name Michaela. of... Michaela, I'm calling my no, Italian no, friend. No, don't answer that, Michaela. Why not? It's about winning and losing. But we'll let her answer if you can't. Antipasti. I'm gonna go Is that your answer, Terry? No, I... I <laughs> you, he does not know. Michaela, would you like to potentially answer that question? Caponata. Ah. Oh, yes. Okay, Terry, here's a good one for you. What is the French or Italian Uh-oh. name for the dessert of custard sauce topped with whipped meringue? It would be it's Floating a Island. Correct. As but what's the French name? Crème anglaise with... It's not called Floating Island. It's a rocher. In the French, it. it's... Yeah. And the, what's the Italian name? French oh. is Il Flottante. Yeah. Uh, Crème anglaise, I think. Uh, okay. Yeah. Correct. Terry. So that was correct. What is the Italian term for food such as meat, poultry, seafood, or vegetables wrapped around a filling such as cheese or cured meats? What's the Italian term for that little meat? No, I, I don't know. Go ahead. Involtini. Involtini. Wow. Ooh. Okay, what is the French term? Everybody, everybody knew that, right? Everybody knew that? Everybody knew that. Oh, what is the French term for gelatinized meat broth? It makes a jelly. A jelly or an aspic. Yeah. Correct. Speaking nice English job. or French, I just I, I know, get confused. I'm like, come on, guys. I'm making it a little more technical. So I got three out of five. Correct. Good job, chef. Well. Okay, Michaela, okay. five questions. The, you drew these. What is the French name of the finely ground mixture of generally white pepper, nutmeg, ginger, and cloves used to season vegetables, stews, and meats? 
There are four spices in there. It sounds delicious, very much. Espista something, yeah. She gets a point. She gets a point. It sounds delicious. Facet, Terry. Terry, would you like to answer that? No. No. Quattro de piece. Yeah. Okay. Next one. What is the process of inserting strips of fat into meat that doesn't have as much fat to melt and keep the meat from drying out? What is that technical term? I know the te- technical parts, but belly, tummy feeding, tummy, larding, larding. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Correct. Either larding or barding. Good job. Nice. Okay. Nice. This does not need to be larded. <laughs> it's already there. Okay. So what is the culinary term for the technical, for the fat or oil to return to temperature after you've added some food in? What do they call that? It's kind of like after you have too much to drink the night before. Tom's smiling. Anybody in the audience? Bridget, this is fantastic. Too hard? (laughs) This is a culinary school. Um, Pass. So after you, like, have had too much to drink the night before. Recovery. Oh. Oh. It's cute. Recovery or recovery. That's super cute. Yeah. Okay, this is a good one for you. Come on, I won. The last one. Come on. What is the Italian... You have two more. What is the Italian term for a style of cooking... Stews or meats with pepper, onions, garlic, and tomato from Abruzzo. Ah, from Abruzzo. Paper garlic. No, but it's meat and stuff. It's braised. And it usually is a hunter. Cacciatora. Ah, wow. You're so smart. Okay. What is the Spanish term for that large, flat griddle that they cook on? Mm, P. Set it back there. <laughs> plancha. Plancha. La plancha. Ah, perfect. Plancha. Nice job. Way nice. to go. Good job. Okay, okay. Tom. All right. Three out, of, three out of five. Which All right. Five? Wow. Okay, what, Tom, what is the name of the curried chicken soup adapted by the British from India? Originally, it was rich, enriched with coconut milk, embellished with almonds and apples. I only know the Thai version, Tumka Gai or something like that. Right, but the the British. Oh, Gatani. Oh, yeah. see, I need. Oh my God, you get that? Yes. That's cool. Okay, Tom. The greased <laughs> round of paper used to cover meats during the cooking process. There's either in Italian or in French. Terry's smiling. He knows what I'm talking about. Uh, the parchment, the greased parchment. Yeah. Cartouche. Bingo. Cartoccio. Yeah. Okay, you'll get this one. What is the Italian dish made of fontina cheese and cream served over toast? Fonduta. Perfetto. Yeah. Si. Oh, this is a good one. Tom. What were all the others? <laughs> name, name the spices in the five spice mix used in Chinese cooking. Oh, that's... Uh, do you know them all, Chef? Nope. No, neither do I. Uh, I'm going to say uh, fennel, cardamom, cinnamon... Star anise, agreed. Ginger, yes. Ginger and white pepper. Yeah, there you go. That was okay. six. Let one more. <laughs> what's the name? <laughs> what's the name of the Brazilian dish? Very similar to cassoulet, made with black beans, sausage, bacon, ham, various cuts of pork. Delicious. It's Brazilian. <laughs> yeah, it starts with an F. Brazilian delicious. Not a clue. 
Fijuada. Yeah, exactly. Not a clue. Terry knew. Fijuada. See, you guys got each other's He's questions. got four out of five. You won. Tom, you won today. Congratulations, Michaela, for Michaela. such a good, <laughs> nice new book called Pasta for All Seasons. Thanks for sharing that with us. And you get to pick an audience member that's going to win the, the three-rub prize from our gift shop that's open after the after the show. If you want to be part of the show, you can join the community on YouTube Live at Tom Douglas and Company. Also remember, if you miss any episode of our Hot Stove Society show on Cairo 97.3 FM, you can listen via podcast. Just subscribe with your favorite podcast app. The show is produced by Brigitte Charters today, uh, Sean McFadden over there on the technical, and Sean, don't call me Dottore at the Cairo Studios. Thank you uh, for sitting in, Bridget. And have a wonderful weekend. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Yay! Yay!